absolute buffoon. He, he's got to be now the uh, the only man that's south of Biden as it comes to being uh, with it as a uh, public spokesperson. Uh, but the Germans, uh, to their shame, and I always once thought that Germany was a reasonably bright country, but perhaps not. The, uh, the chancellor of Germany invited Abbas to a... Uh, uh, an event that is the 50-year anniversary of fake Athenians, Palestinians, uh, killing, uh, I don't know if it was 10, 12 uh, Jews at the uh, Munich Olympic Games. And so of all people, they invited Abbas, uh, a fake Athenian leader. And so someone in the, meter, uh, in the media naturally asked him the question. So... We finally issue an apology for what the uh, Palestinians uh, did to the, uh, the Jews at the Munich Olympic Games. And this moron, rather than saying, yeah, there was, there's just no justification and uh, killing, they, they shouldn't have done that. I'm deeply sorry on behalf of the, uh, the, the people and the families they killed. You know, I, I wish to issue a, a belated apology. No. What he said is that uh, Jews have perpetrated 50 holocausts against the, well, he calls them Palestinian people. There is no such thing as a Palestinian people. There's no ethnicity that would be associated with uh, a Palestinian. Uh, There is no national history of a place called Palestine. There is no such place. There are no such uh, people. Uh, So that's the big lie. But then he says that Jews have perpetrated 50 holocausts. No. All Jews ever do uh, against the uh, occupying Muslims is fight defend back. themselves. They defend themselves. Yeah. yeah, they either fight back in a defensive battle, or they uh, proactively go after those who are planning to uh, terrorize uh, civilians. That has been their modus operandi uh, since 1948, and nothing has changed. The murderers are the Fakistinians, but. This Nimrod goes off and says there's been 50 holocausts, and the chancellor of Germany is standing right by him and doesn't have the fortitude, the character, the intellect to say, no, can't say that, particularly here in Germany, particularly on the 50th anniversary of what happened in the Munich Games. Shame on you. Get off this stage. We should never have invited you. It took him 24 hours the next day. And he issued a condemnation via a tweet. Give me a break. A tweet. A tweet. Hey, uh, just to keep up with the uh, the times, uh, one of the clowns dressed up in, uh, in black with his red trim Speaking of a prominent Vatican cardinal, uh, this one uh, in Canada has uh, now been accused of uh, sexual assault in a civil suit in that country. Um, Roman Catholic Church has a serious problem. Uh, one last thing on the news. Uh, I read this week that uh, that Biden approved another billion dollars of weapons for the Ukraine, which is just so stunningly counterproductive 
and uh, then right after that, he uh, he requested another nine hundred uh, million dollars in weapons for Ukraine. And then in the fine print, the bottom says, and these programs uh, are accompanied with four billion dollars and um, and governmental support. Uh, why? Because the uh, Ukraine has always been a um, a parasite. That's uh, how this whole thing began. Back in the yeah, Obama administration, the, uh, the Ukrainians uh, had welched on their international debt, uh, and uh, Russians and the International Monetary Fund stupidly were vying for who would uh, fund the those who had proven they would not uh, pay their previous bills. Now, that would like be a bank saying, I don't want to loan money to the guy that consistently pays it back. But what I want to do is I want to make loans to those who never pay it back. And so the International Monetary Fund and the Russians were fighting with each other as to who would pony up the next round of debt for the Ukraine. This is uh, 2000. That's true. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and I did a lot of reporting on this back in the Shattering Myths uh, program. It's just yes, how stupid that would be because I went through all of the previous loans and how the Ukraine uh, never paid them back. Uh, the Russians were in a better position, though, than the Americans for two reasons. Uh, one, of course, is that Ukraine is in their sphere of influence. It's a, it's a country on their border that for hundreds of years was part of their country. So they have a vested interest. The people speak their language, uh, and, uh, and most of their infrastructure was uh, built during the, uh, the time they were part of Russia. Uh, but mostly because... Uh, the uh, gas pipeline between uh, the Caspian Sea um, uh, gas fields in Russia and Europe runs through the Ukraine. So they were paying the Ukrainians a transport fee once Ukraine uh, 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 chose to be uh, or became free of, uh, of Russia. And so all the the Russians had to do was say that if you're not going to pay us back, we can simply uh, deduct it from flat. what we owe you, and we're all swell. Yeah, of course, the Americans had nothing mm-hmm. to get their money back. Uh, and then uh, I, when it became obvious that the Russians were going to win because they, they had all the cards in this case, that's when the Obama administration decided that they would work through the CIA to overturn the popular elected government in Ukraine, uh, and uh, did so by by arming neo Nazis, and they uh, through riots um, overturned the uh, the government, uh, and we call that democracy, of course. Uh, and the Europeans are saying, you know, this is a war between the autocrats and the democrats when we overturned the <laughs> the democratic elected government. But don't let facts get in the way with your uh, with your illusions. Uh, but immediately after that, I can't just pin the tail on the Obama administration, although it was uh, their, uh, uh, their exercise. Uh, but the two leading uh, senators, Republican senators, uh, Lindsey Graham and the late uh, John McCain, uh, within a year were over and they're videotaped. You can watch it online uh, telling the Ukrainians that the United States would support their war against Russia and that we would arm them, and that their war would be our war, their enemy would be our enemy, and we would stay with them and fight this thing uh, to uh, its ultimate victory, 
we were declaring war against Russia back in 2014 and continued to move uh, things along with, uh, with our NATO approach uh, and uh, arming the Ukrainians until such time as the Russians had no choice but to respond. And, uh, and then we blamed the Russians for the war that we instigated back in uh, 2013 and 2014. And what it's gotten us is now that we're spending, what, $4 billion a month uh, trying to uh, uh, uphold this broken country, and we're making life miserable for everyone by sending them weapons because at this point, because of the United States sending so many uh, anti-tank and anti-aircraft uh, weapons and missiles, uh, the Russians can't do what they intended to do, which was to go into the cities and with a show of force and prevail by not having to blow everything to smithereens. But because now they're armed to the teeth with anti-tank and anti-aircraft missiles, uh, all Russia can do is bombard them from afar and continue to bombard until they, they uh, cry uncle. So we've turned the Ukraine into a killing field. But we tell ourselves that we're the peaceful nation and that this is somehow intelligent. And the worst part of it, if you were to ask 100 people in America, 99, if not 100 of them, will think that the Russians are the bad guys and the perpetrators when the truth is just the opposite. Uh, but I thought you ought to know that there's an update on uh, the mess in the Ukraine and that uh, it's, um, it's leading to World War III is where, we'll all, uh, where it's all going to end up. All right, all that uh, said, uh, and is there anything you wanted to add in terms of the, the news, uh, Kurt? No, I, I mentioned before uh, before we talked uh, some of the stupid Biden things this week, and it's, it's just – I, I would like to ask a question, though. Yeah. What would cause someone like uh, John, uh, was it Kane um, and and Lindsey Graham, to uh-huh. even entertain that idea and go there and do that? Who, what the hell? Well, ob- well, obviously, how do you think? Obviously, it had been a joint um, intelligence and military mission at the time of the coup. So at the time that the coup took place, where the pro-Russian Thank government you. was overturned by, uh, by armed belligerents who were armed by the United States, that uh, John McCain, who was uh, Armed Services Committee, and Lindsey Graham, who uh, I think is intelligence, uh, they were in the know. They supported the Obama-Ed uh, uh, administration's uh, plan, and that the country was showing a unified front and what their intent was, which was to establish a, a proxy war against Russia. Now, why would Republicans and Democrats alike want to do mm-hmm. that? Why would they want for us to be bled dry by this parasite? Why would we want to take the nation with the most nuclear weapons and engage them in war? Why would we want to do the opposite of what we celebrated with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, you know, everybody celebrates uh, Kennedy for being so shrewd in the Cuban Missile Crisis when all mm-hmm. Kennedy did is say, all right, uh, you don't want the missiles in Turkey that we put there. We don't want the missiles you're putting in Cuba. 
uh, if you take the missiles out of Cuba, we'll take the missiles out of the, uh, the, off the Turkish border near Russia, uh, and we'll agree never to invade uh, Cuba, uh, and we'll avoid nuclear war. Khrushchev and, uh, mm-hmm. and Kennedy agreed to those terms. But this time, we, uh, we had the, uh, the moron and vice president uh, go off uh, the day before the Russians invaded. And rather than saying, we get it, it, it doesn't make any sense to make Ukraine part of NATO and to arm the Ukraine along the Russian border, because for certain, it will, uh, it will cause the Russians to intervene because they wouldn't tolerate that any more than America tolerated uh, the uh, uh, weaponizing of Cuba. Uh, nope, she just said, we encourage and welcome Ukraine into NATO. And so why did we do it? So we did it. Let's just make that perfectly clear. We did it. The United States did it. We're totally yeah. and completely responsible. Why we did right. it. Uh, when you the, do that, now you're, really casting, you're, now you're casting aspersions. But here's the only scenarios that make any sense. So, no, I can't say they make any sense. These do not make any sense. They explain people's horrid behavior. Uh, yes. There is enormous amounts of money in war. Of course. And uh, guys That's like complex, are vested up to their eyeballs in war yeah. uh, yes. and the, like, the companies like Halliburton uh, and the Lockheed Martin and the like Boeing that make military gear are the largest contributors to many of these politicians uh, and their lobbyists make life very comfortable for these politicians and so they this is what they do also a politician is much more popular and much more uh, uh, um, criticism when there is a war. Because very few Americans are willing to do what I'm doing, which is to tell you we are responsible. You ought not be rallying around the flag. Uh, You're being played for a fool. I mean, that's what should have happened when we deliberately put the Lusitania in a position to have it sunk and Americans signed up to go and play in a hellish world war uh, and be gassed in Europe to save uh, uh, the Rockefellers and the, the, uh, the J.P. Morgans. But if somebody mm-hmm. had said that, fewer Americans would have died for nothing. You know, if somebody had the courage to say the Gulf of Tonkin incident did not occur, and even if it had occurred, it's no justification for us sending troops into Vietnam where we have no chance to make the situation better. But that's what should have been said. Yeah. When, when America invaded uh, Afghanistan and shortly after Iraq, I was the only person doing national interviews who went on record as saying, this is suicide. We are destined to make a bad situation worse. There is a 0% possibility that this will do anything but cost America great amounts of blood and coin. Yes. No one else would do that. Oh, that's true. Because, that's because when you don't toe the line when the country is at war and support your elected officials, you're considered unpatriotic and undeserving 
and you're condemned. But that's the voice that needs to be heard. Uh, remember during the Vietnam War when, uh, when mm-hmm. the anti-war voice said, you know, this is insanity, we have no business doing this, we have no chance of success, why are we killing so many people for nothing? Uh, of course, the response by the crazed right uh, was to call them unpatriotic and, uh, and yeah. slander them. Coming lovers. Yeah, <laughs> but the fact of the matter is we had no chance of success, and now it's obvious. Uh, but the, uh, the pro-military um, I wrapped themselves in the flag. They wrapped themselves in patriotism. They know that it's good for politics. It's good for business. And they do these things. Uh, they want to be wartime politicians. Uh, the perks are, are so much greater for them under those circumstances. Um, so um, I, I can tell you those are the only reasons I can give you, and they're not rational reasons. No. Uh, this, this scenario with Russia, and I, and go, I mean, let's be clear, uh, back in 2012, I was doing hours and hours of radio on this very subject when no one had even contemplated the war and said, this is a bad idea. This is where it's going to leave. We should not do this. And I've been speaking out against this for 10 years because it was obvious what was going to occur. And, uh, and yet, I, over this time, I may have heard one or two others. And some are just skirting the issue just barely, uh, and they still want to uh, to blame uh, Putin for uh, for what we perpetrated. And you know what is it about this idea that we have the right to go confiscate Russian businessmen's homes, boats, planes, and this sort of thing? That's bizarre. Uh, it's just we don't, we don't believe in anything that's. Uh... Anything that's fair. I mean, we don't. We we no. think stealing is fine. If if they're the bad guys, we can steal from them. We can kill them. We can do. We yeah. can. Yeah, the their U.S. government has now uh, a major marketing effort to uh, to perpetrate propaganda. I mean, it, we might as well call it the propaganda department. Mm-hmm. I, it's what I experienced when I started reporting on the uh, invasion of Afghanistan, which, as I said. Um, before we even invaded, I, uh, I predicted exactly what was going to occur, which is exactly what happened. And, uh, and uh, as I surveyed the first 500 deaths in, uh, in that invasion, what I learned is that the U.S. Department of Defense lied about every single one of them. To create this illusion that we were doing a good thing and that these troops were dying for something worthwhile, we lied about every single death. And uh, we do it, uh, we're doing it now in uh, Ukraine. Um, you just can't believe the vast majority of, uh, of what you, uh, you read. And then, then the world is so filled with conspiracy, it gets even, uh, it gets even worse. Mm-hmm. All right. On our last program, we left with uh, this statement. It's... Um, from Ismore, Psalm 8112, and we're in the what is the eighth volume of Yadayawa. I'm uh, in the second to last chapter now in my rewrite uh, of it, studying uh, Chaba'uk. Um, 
but this particular volume is based almost entirely on uh, Hosha and what Hosha was inspired to write regarding uh, Yisrael, Yahuda, the descendants of Jacob. Uh, it, it's the toughest book of all the prophets. Uh, God does not uh, uh, hold back any punches. Uh, and <clears throat> what I decided to do was that I thought it was best to introduce Hosha with uh, a psalm that had been written about 200 years before Hosha was Mizmor 81.12. And I'm concluding the review of Hosha uh, with the menace that Hosha himself brings up. He, he explains that Shaul would become the problem, Paul. And so I'm concluding mm -hmm. it with an analysis of Chabauk and sandwiched in between is Hosha. So as we move through volume eight, we will spend most of our time in the prophetic book of Hosha. It's probably the most important book for Yehudim, Jews, to read. Because it, uh, it's comprehensive and Yahweh explaining why he has no relationship with you anymore. And what he is trying to put into place so that if you are a Jew, that you will uh, walk away from Judaism, walk away from your political party, uh, and come to embrace the truth about him. Speaking of that, uh, as I understand it, our social media outreach um, <laughs> on tonight's program uh, is to uh, Yisrael. So if you are a Yehud, a Jew, listening to this program in Yisrael, what you're going to find is that we will acknowledge Yahweh's name. We take his prophets seriously. We recognize that God's single most repetitive theme throughout his prophets, beginning with the prophet Moshe, Moses in the Torah, and going all the way through the last of his prophets, which was Malachi. Uh, Malachi means messenger. The single most repeated theme, overwhelmingly, is God's hatred religion in general and Judaism in particular and that it is Judaism that rather than uniting God's people with God has separated them and this becomes an irrefutable fact for anyone who is open-minded and rational and is willing to consider Yahweh's testimony as he revealed it through his prophets so the first thing you're going to learn is that we use Yahweh's name because he wants us to use it. He re revealed it 7,000 times is how many times yod heh wah -Hey is written in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms, and that it is exceedingly easy to pronounce, in fact, just Torah, uh, which means guidance and teaching, is sufficient to tell you how to pronounce the letters in Yahweh's name particularly recognizing that Torah is from the verb yara, which means source, from which information mm -hmm. and directions regarding uh, reconciliation would flow. So we will use Yahweh's name, and we will use it boldly, because without using Yahweh's name, there is no chance of being reconciled into a relationship with him and being, therefore, admitted into Shamaim, heaven. The second thing we will do is we will tell you that God hates religion. Therefore, Judaism, Christianity, Islam, and also the religions of man, progressive 
um, thought, which is a, uh, a variation of socialism and communism. God hates these things. He begged us not to be political, told us the consequence in the book of Shamuel, meaning listen to him, uh, listen to God. And uh, he spends more prophetic ink discussing his hatred of religion than any other subject. Now, when you listen to this program, if you're listening in Israel, it's also important for you to know that while we will convey God's disgust for his people's religion and politics, that God says very little of Goyim other than do not emulate their ways. The Goyim were overtly political and overtly religious, and they integrated religion and politics together, and God didn't want his people poisoned with that, and he says, don't integrate. Don't do what they do. But other than that, all of his message is focused on Yisrael and Yehudah. All of it. So when God is condemning religion, he is condemning Judaism. And you might say, wait a minute, Judaism is a more recent phenomenon. It's true to some degree. Uh, the most uh, dominant form of the religion today, uh, the uh, Herodim, uh, that religion was actually created in the 17th century. And of all places, the Ukraine. Uh, so it's a very recent religion, probably the most yeah. recent religion other than uh, uh, than <laughs> uh, Mormonism and uh, Scientology. But the one thing that the Herodim have going for them, they're appropriately dressed for their own funeral. But understand, God is disgusted by that. Now, you'd say, so mm-hmm. wait a minute, when you're talking and you're reading uh, a prophecy from Dode, which is the proper pronunciation of, uh, of David's name, meaning David. beloved, uh, and we use the term mizmor, which is the proper Hebrew term for psalm, lyrics uh, to be sung. Uh, now, how can he be speaking prophetically of Judaism when Judaism you know, would really begin to evolve much later? And hmm. you know, the, the other argument for Judaism is that rabbinic Judaism is the only surviving form of the religion. And rabbinic Judaism began about the same time Christianity. In fact, both Judaism and Christianity emerged from the same impetus. And that was that Yahweh fulfilled the first four Moed Mikre. Moed Mikre are God's eternal witnesses and restoring testimony to the invitations that he has offered to meet. There are seven of them. The first four of his Moed Mikre Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shavuah, which means Passover, unyeasted bread, uh, firstborn children, and the promise of the Shabbat, were all fulfilled in year 4,000 Yah. Year 4,000 Yah is, was 33 CE on the uh, uh, Roman, became Roman Catholic calendar in use today. Mm-hmm. And so Christians tried to explain what occurred by renaming Yosha, who was the Passover lamb, Jesus. Well, no one named Jesus. Uh, he lived until the 17th century. 40 years ago. 
Yeah, yeah. It, would, it would take 1,700 years before there was a Jesus. Uh, and he most certainly was not the Masayak, and he was not the Son of God. He was the Passover lamb. And so the Goyim were clueless. Something happened. They didn't know what happened. And then Paul, the, the scum of the earth and the inspiration behind most of the Christian New Testament, the author of much of it as well, I perpetrated this scheme on replacement theology. And uh, rather than being the Passover lamb, he uh, postulated that he was the son of God and the Messiah and uh, actually God in the flesh and that uh, all you had to do is believe in him and you'd be saved. Uh, they also postulated this spurious notion that Jews were responsible for killing him which would make Christianity so anti-Semitic. And that's why I've written a four-volume series called Questioning Paul to prove that, uh, that Paul was a complete fraud. In fact, God calls him the plague of death, the father of lies, and the son of evil. Now, mm-hmm. that's Christianity. So Christianity completely missed the fact that that his name was Yosha, which means Yahweh saves, that he fulfilled Pesach, and that Yahweh with his soul went, went on to fulfill Matzah, Bukotim, and Shabuah uh, after that in year 4000. Yeah. Christianity clueless, so they just take one element and completely misappropriate it. In fact, from if you were just to take what Christianity claims, which is that uh, God died on Passover for uh, your sins, they don't even want to call it Passover, uh, and that uh, Good Friday... <laughs> as, if, as if the Hebrew calendar was a weekly affair as opposed to based on uh, on the lunar cycle. But stupid is as stupid does. If, right. yeah. if you were to actually acknowledge Passover, but not celebrate mm-hmm. matzah, as by the way is the case with Judaism, which you've done is counterproductive, because Passover is mm-hmm. the doorway to eternal life, Matzah is the means to perfection. If you are eternal and not perfected by God, you don't have the stench of religion removed from you, then eternity is spent in Sheol, hell. So Christianity, if it was actually lived the way that it was based, would be eternal damnation. Now, what happened to Jews? So this nincompoop, Paul, a fellow Jew, a failed rabbi, uh, begins to promote this anti-Semitic religion. And it grows in, uh, in popularity, ultimately morphing uh, uh, from imperial Rome to the Roman Catholic Church. And so the rabbis emerge at the same time to counter the effect of, uh, of this mortal enemy, because no institution in the, hu- in, in the history of humanity has been more destructive than Roman Catholicism. And so... The rabbis at the same time were trying to fend off the foolishness of, of uh, Pauline Christianity, but none of them had the right answer. What they did is rather than confront it by saying, you idiots, his name was Yosha, and he was the Passover lamb, and Yahweh, as promised, fulfilled the first four mikre in your 4,000 Yah, you've missed it all. And by the way, the Son of God is Dode, David. The Messiah is Dode, David. And the person who's coming back with Yahweh, which just so happens to be God's name, is Dode, David. You got it all wrong. 
you've you've misappropriated everything that God has said. And oh, by the way, this idea that Gentiles have somehow replaced Jews is stunningly stupid because it's the exact opposite of what God has to say. That would have been the answer. And then to celebrate the fact that Yahweh had fulfilled his promise to honor Pesach, Matzah, Bakudim, and Shabuah, enabling us to become immortal, to be perfected, to be adopted into the covenant family, to be enriched and empowered, thereby fulfilling the five benefits of the Bereth Covenant. But no. No. No, instead they would make Yosef such a mortal enemy, they changed his name. They uh, denied uh, everything about him. They condemned him. They never associated him with the fulfillment of Passover. Uh, They turned matzah into an ingredient so that the most important part of chag matzah is now nothing but a missing ingredient. Don't celebrate matzah or understand its purpose. Even on Passover, the uh, Seder is is Keynesian. It's... uh, it's how many vegetables can we put on a plate. Mm-hmm. This is the entire purpose. Uh, and uh, Bukurim is not even celebrated, nor is Shavuot. So their attempt to confront Christianity and to prove that you know, there was no arrival of the Messiah, the Messiah arrives in your 6,000 Yah, uh, not in, uh, in your 4,000 Yah, and that the Son of God is doed, Rather than just simply state those things and uh, and explain what occurred, they created a religion to uh, to isolate Jews, and it was devastating. So it was a, a double lose lose game. So as we go through this program, and you hear us constantly criticize Judaism uh, and Yisrael and Yahuda, it's because this is what God does, and our mission is to convey to you exactly what God has to say. Yeah. And it's time you start listening to him. You, as a people, Yisraelites and Yehudim, uh, with Yahuda being one of the, the 12 tribes, uh, Yisrael representing all 12. Sometimes Yisrael is, is used to represent 10 of the 12. Uh, the oddball is uh, Benjamin, which is God's least favorite tribe. Uh, mm-hmm. And Yehuda is his favorite. Uh, and there's this notion that everybody that is uh, alive today is a Yehud Jew. And that's just not the case. But uh, nonetheless, uh, God's goal is for you to understand that he hates religion, that the first thing he asked Abraham to do was walk away from the influence of Babylon which is where institutionalized religion and politics were first integrated to control the people. And God's first request is walk away from that. And yet, rather than walk away, Jews have become either ever more religious or ever more political. Uh, By the way, the argument that Judaism isn't that old is torn asunder because if you were to ask yeah. a oh, rabbi, oh. yeah, uh, yeah. How, why do you claim authority for the Talmud and why do you, uh, you cite the Talmud 
as an authority uh, on God's word over the Torah. And what they'll say is that, oh, the uh, Talmud was uh, given to the 70 elders at the The same time that Moshe Mm -hmm. received the written Torah. Go read the written Torah. That did not occur. Not only didn't it occur, the first uh, lines of the Babylonian Talmud were written uh, 300 to 500 CE, or 2,000 years thereafter. Uh, So, no, that is not what occurred. But the very claim that it occurred takes the religion practiced by Jews, Judaism, uh, by its own admission back to that time, whether it had the fact that that they've gone from worshiping Baal, the Lord, and Asherah, the Queen of Heaven, uh, and all manner of other gods and goddesses uh, over time, the fact of the matter is that the god of rabbinic Judaism is modeled after rabbis today. And it's a false god, and it's leading God's people away from him, and he is very angry of rabbis robbing him of his family and all of the squandered souls. So the last thing I'll say is that by way of introduction, um, we will sound like we're picking on Jews and Judaism because Yahweh is. Uh, that's his focus. He really says very little about Goyim other than don't cop- copy their ways. And since well, that's God's topic, it's got to be our topic. The only other thing I was going to say is that uh, we are an mm-hmm. equal opportunity uh, antagonist as it comes to religion. I've not only written the multiple volumes of Yada Yawa, uh in opposition to Judaism, because God's so opposed to it, but also a four-volume set called Questioning Paul that no one has ever read uh, and remained a Christian. It, uh, it's the most effective tool to utterly destroy the, uh, uh, every claim of Christianity ever written. And in addition to that, I've written the most comprehensive analysis of the Quran, where I use the Hadith to reestablish the Quran in chronological order, set in the context of Muhammad's life, and completely destroy Islam's credibility to the point that to be a Muslim, uh, you you should have your head examined. Uh, There is a 0% possibility that Muhammad spoke for God and that the Quran is a divinely inspired book. Uh, quite the opposite. Um, so we are ubiquitous in, uh, in our hatred of all things religious. You want to say something? Yeah. Well, yeah, I just want to say because what you've done is no one ever did. Uh, really, no one has ever done this. Is, is you were able to put together these books, and once you read them, you realize, my gosh, that's exactly right. You can research it. You tell us how to research it, et cetera, how to translate it. On and on and on, way back to uh, as far back as you want to go of, of, of written, li- uh, written language. But the thing is, for me to walk away from Christianity, even though I had walked away and become just agnostic, as, as you did, uh, but me much later, is the fact that I could pick up questioning Paul uh, at some early point in, in my understanding of what Yahweh was looking for, you could just break it down. The first thing he says in, in his tablets of stones is get away from religion. And, yeah. But I need to make a clean break, and I need to know what's, what's, what's wrong with it and where, and then if that, then what do I do? So, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really speaking to an audience saying, you will love this journey. 
it is you there. It is factual yeah. and it's wonderful. Yeah. And that's, that's, yeah. Uh, yeah, you need yeah. you need no faith. Um, in fact, faith is a liability. No, fact, yeah, uh, please, no. It, it, yeah. God does not ask you to believe him. We don't ask you to believe him. We're not asking anything from you. We uh, The books are available in their entirety. Uh, free uh, online at yadayah.com. Y-A-D-A means to know. Yah, the short and familiar version of Yahweh's name. Uh, .com. All the books are available for you. <laughs> you can go to Amazon and for pennies, you can buy the Kindle version of, uh, of every book. Uh, and for just the printing and shipment costs with no royalty to us, uh, you can buy the hardbacks or the softback versions of uh, these now 25 uh, volumes and growing. Uh, so it's all available. Uh, and we don't have a donation button. You can't pay us anything. We're not asking anything from you. Frankly, we don't care if you choose to accept or reject what God has to say. But we're making the information available to you in hopes that you will care. Um, but the bottom line is, Yahweh is worth knowing and religion is worth avoiding. And it's not just that God is asking you to disavow and disassociate with religion and politics. Um, he is offering you something vastly better instead, rather than something that for, for uh, uh, 3,000 years has been a blight on the world. He is offering you the most wonderful gift there is, the opportunity to be part of his family, the opportunity to live forever, the opportunity to be uh, emancipated and liberated, to be enlightened, to be enriched literally to be adopted into his family and inherit all that he has to offer. It is the, it is a great joy. Uh, it is unburdening. Uh, and it's a giant leap into the light and out of the darkness. All right. Our program uh, this time last week ended uh, with a review of Mismore Psalm uh, 81, uh, 11, and 12. I'll repeat it, uh, and we'll move on. Okay. Yahweh says, <clears throat> through Dode, uh, his son, But my people have not listened to the sound of my voice, and Israel has been unwilling to accept me. And so I let them go away. I did so in the stubbornness and recalcitrance and unyielding resistance of their adversarial attitude. They continually walk in their own counsel, in their own customs and traditions. This is an amplified translation of what was written 3,000 years ago by the most intelligent and most articulate man who ever lived, Dote, whom Yahweh said was right. It is a summation of everything we have said over the last 45 minutes. If you don't like what we're saying, then your problem is with what God is saying. That's what he just said. My people have not listened to the sound of my voice. It really goes back all the way to Moshe. When, when mm -hmm. the children of Israel had behaved so poorly, um, 
during the uh, Yatza exodus from Egypt. Uh, here they, uh, when Moshe tried to first liberate them from their taskmasters, they turned on Moshe and said, you know, you're, you're, what right do you have to tell us what to do? We don't care that uh, you, uh, you tried to save us. Go away. You have no right to tell us what to do. And you know, that was, Moshe was 40 at the time he left. He went to Arabia uh, and uh, had a pretty nice life cut carved out for himself. And God said, uh, no, I want to send you back. I, I'm, I'm going back with you because I, I, I want to work with you. God never works alone. He always works for, through people. He always chooses the individual he thinks is best prepared uh, and has the right attributes and character to do the job he wants done. The best choice I think he ever made was uh, Moshe. Uh, and, of course, I'm, I'm exceedingly fond of, uh, of, of Dode as well. Uh, and I love the, uh, the prophets like uh, Samuel, Chabauk, uh, Yermaya, uh, Hosha. These are very, very interesting mm-hmm. uh, individuals. But that's God's style. That's how he, he wants to work. And, and as the children of Israel were being prepared to leave uh, Mitzrayim, the crucibles of human religious and political oppression, and journey into the promised land, Every step of the way, they either lied or bellyached. Uh, they mm-hmm. couldn't get back to religion fast enough. Moshe goes up Mount Choreb uh, to uh, begin receiving God's Torah teaching, and they're off with Aaron building a dam, golden calf, uh, which is the Apis bull cult in, uh, in Mitzrayim, the Pharaoh's primary uh, religious cult. Uh, and there they are doing that. And God says, I, I'm not going forward with those who want to stay back in religion. If you're going to come with me and be part of my covenant and live in my home, you have to walk away from religion, which is what I'm trying to do here. And so he, uh, he eliminated those that had anything to do with building that, uh, that false god. And as he would continue to try to reinforce the fact, listen, I want you to know that what Moshe is telling you is what I told him. I'm inspiring him. I, the creator God of the universe, am the one that's speaking through him. And so you ought to be very careful and listen to what he has to say. The children of Israel said, no, 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 we, we don't want you to ever talk to us again. Don't ever do that again. And so God was put in a position where the only way that he could talk to his people was through his prophets, folks like Moshe, folks like uh, Yosha ben Nun, uh, folks like Shamuel, uh, those like Adod, um, Yashiyah, Yermiah, Zachariah, Hosha, uh, Malachi. And it's true even today. Uh, Today, God has said, I don't need another prophet. What I need is for my people to finally listen to the prophets. And so he elicited by his own admission, there's countless prophecies on this subject, he elicited the uh, Agoy, who he thought was uh, acclimated and prepared to do this mission, to explain to you, Israel. Yahudem, Jews, what Yahweh 
has said, what he is offering, what he's expecting from you, and to tell you that you have very little time. He is going to return on Yom Kippurim in year 6000 Yah. That's October 2nd of 2033. And between now and then, things are going to get really bad and that a, uh, um, a majority of the world's population will likely die. And so if you want to avoid that carnage and be part of Yahweh's family, you have very little time to listen and respond intelligently. This program is designed to help you do that, as are these books. And we want to get your attention so that you begin to listen to what your God has to say. And if it sounds humbling to you to be hearing God's words, Yahweh's words from a Goyim, Understand, the reason that that's occurring is because there wasn't a single Jew, not one, who would even say Yahweh's name, much less turn away from the Talmud and focus on Yahweh's prophets. Not one. Amazing. And after radio silence for all of that period of time. Well, the last time God spoke to Yehudim was through Malachi, uh, 450 BCE. So, 2,500 years. There hasn't been a single Jew willing to step up and speak for Yahweh to convey his message. And Yahweh tells us over and over again that that was the case. So that is why you're listening to a goy. Speak on behalf of Yahweh to call you home. All right, so this statement, it begins by saying, my people, and this is the point we made earlier, my people, which is Amani, only speaks of one group of people. His people are not Muslims. His people are not Pakistanians. His people are not Twistians. His people are Yisrael, the descendants yes. of, of Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob. Full stop. That's it. Those are his people. Now, it is possible, based upon what Yahweh wrote, to be part of his covenant family and not be a racial descendant of Abraham, Yishak, and Jacob. Because we can be adopted into the family by listening to and responding to the five conditions of the covenant and attending mm-hmm. the Moed Mikre, uh, acknowledging Yahweh's name uh, to allow him to perform as he has promised. But the fact of the matter is, then we become his covenant family to be uh, Am-Ani, my people. He's speaking of the descendants of Israel, the children of Israel. And he's saying, so my people, Israel, have not listened. Lo Shama, in religious circles and in English translation, Shama is typically uh, uh, changed, I can't say translated, to obey. There is no Hebrew word for obey. Shama does not mean obey. Shama is a real simple term. There's only two English words that we can use to convey what Shama means. Listen and hear. 
listen no. and hear. Those are the only two acceptable English words to translate, translate. Shama. You can't have a Hebrew word for obey and live in an environment of free will. And so God does not have one. He wants you to listen to him. This is essential, though, because the religious want to go off and pray. To pray, which is something God never once asks of us. Never once does God ask us to pray to him. He doesn't want us yabbering to him, particularly since most prayers are nonsensical. And since most prayers uh, show a complete ignorance of what God's already offered. So if you know what he has communicated and says he wants through his Torah, then you do not need to ask him for it. Just accept it. And there's no reason to ask him for something that he absolutely states that he does not want to be part of. So yabbering to God through prayer disgusts him. God not do it. So rather than talk to God, listen to him. There is nothing you can say that's going to make God any wiser. But there's a lot he has to say that will make you wiser. Listen to him. Stop talking to him. Hey, if you want to say after you've spent a day studying the Torah, I would encourage you to pick up an Introduction to God, Volume 1, and read right from the beginning. After you've spent some time listening to what Yahweh has to say, celebrating his name, celebrating the insights he's revealing to you, and you want to say, thanks, Dad. Yeah. Wow. That's cool. That's cool. But to ask him for understanding, what a complete and utter waste of time. The reason he provides the teaching is for you to understand, why would you ask him for something he's committed to doing and giving you every tool in the world so that you can comprehend what he's saying. And Yisrael, in case you were confused as to who my people was, is, will ever be, always be, mm-hmm. Yisrael, which can be defined two different ways, one's positive, uh, one negative. It's a uh, compound of Yish, which means individual. Sarah, which is uh, based on Sarah's name. Uh, Abraham's wife, one of the most endearing characters in the, uh, the Torah. Uh, and El, which is the title for, uh, for Yahweh. Uh, he is both El, God, and Ab, Father. Uh, so, and Yisrael, so the two different ways you can explain it, is Yisrael can either mean... Uh, individuals who are contentious with and strive against God or mm-hmm. those who uh, engage and endure with God. And Yahweh was very clear. He, uh, he through his prophets, will find this in uh, Hosea, defines Yisrael so that what I've just shared with you becomes irrefutable. Uh, Yisrael, for most of its existence and most Yisraelites today, fall under the definition of individuals who contend against God. Uh, It is so much better to be among those individuals who engage and endure with God. And Yisrael has been unwilling to accept me. If Yisrael is unwilling to accept Yahweh, 
then who in the hell is the god of the Talmud? Who is that they're, they're talking about? Because it sure as hell the not Yahweh. Well, it's yeah. the Lord, it's Hashem, it's old what's-his-name. But the point that I made where I said that the, I don't know, uh, the yeah. god of Judaism is not Yahweh, well, feast on these words. And Yisrael has been unwilling to accept me. Lo uh, Abba La'ani. We're not receptive and did not agree. And so I let them go, free will and all. I set them free. I released them. The reason that the diaspora occurred, the reason that Rome invaded uh, Israel three times, enslaved the chosen people, drug them off to be hated and despised throughout Europe, leading to the Holocaust. The reason these things occurred was because Jews were unwilling to accept Yahweh, and so he let them go. Now, be careful here. Uh, you know, Pauline Christianity would read, so God got mad at Jews and, you know, and replaced them with non-Jews. That's not true. It is true that he's disappointed his people. Uh, it's, it's like a, uh, a father of a, uh, of a wayward son, a drug addict or a thief or murderer, whatever it may be. Uh, you still want the best for your kid. You still love your kid, but you're disgusted with their behavior, such as the case with Yahweh and Yisrael. But Yisrael's problems, uh, the occupation by the Egyptians, the occupation and the uh, uh, being hauled away into slavery by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Roman Catholics, the Muslims, the British, uh, and today by more Muslims, all of that occurred because Israel rejected Yahweh, all of it. And so you could lay this at the feet of the rabbis. They rejected Yahweh. They convinced the people to reject Yahweh. They will never even say Yahweh's name, acknowledge Yahweh's name. And so they rejected God. And so God said, all right, if you don't want to be part of me, that's your choice. I'll set you free. Free from God is not good. Separation, yeah. And so I let them go, and the stubbornness and recalcitrance, the unyielding resistance and adversarial attitude, that has been the problem with the Israelites for thousands of years. Stubborn, unyielding, adversarial and attitude, unwilling to change. They continually walk in their own counsel, their own customs, traditions, uh, and devices, their plans and principles. Um, call it the Zohar, call it the Talmud, call it the Mishnah, call it Halakha, call it uh, the, uh, the religion of the Haredi. That's what they have done. They continually walk. Call imperfect. Call means literally, genuinely, uh, and imperfect means on an ongoing basis. 
even halak is interesting because uh, Jewish religious law is called halakha. Um, so they've admitted to it. They halakha. They continue halakha in their own council customs and traditions. It's a lot for one statement, isn't it? Well, I guess. I guess it's two. Um, although, they, to be fair, uh, these uh, demarcations of, of uh, Psalm 81, 12, even num- the numbering system is, uh, is a modern contrivance. Well, the fact is, Kirk, that Jews stopped listening to Yahweh over three millennia ago. And while that is inexcusable until quite recently, Goyim have never listened to him, ever. True. Even today, on the cusp of the final awakening, fewer than one in a million people hear Yahweh's voice. And while that is um, our option as humankind, and there is no penalty, for failing to avail oneself of Yahweh's guidance, it becomes a problem when the religious mislead millions by claiming otherwise. For example, there's a myth that Jews are Torah observant. It's a lie. They're actually Talmud observant. But they're so revolting, they have renamed their Talmud Torah. And they talk about studying Torah when they're reading the damn Talmud. The very place that Yahweh said, walk away from, Babylon, Babel. What is the name that's described on the front of that book? Babel. Babel. And what does Babel mean? To confuse and confound by intermixing Mm -hmm. and commingling. So they'll cite the Torah. And then go off on some tangent. It's exactly what Paul did. Paul, the author of the Christian New Testament, would cite something from the Torah and then misappropriate it, mistranslate it, and go off and some agenda that was the opposite of what God actually said. That's what the rabbis have done. Why God is so upset with them. The Talmud is a book comprised of rabbinical arguments not of Yahweh's Torah guidance. Pretending to be pious and devoted to their G-D, the Herodim are among the most anti-Semitic and belligerent toward Yahweh. Anti-Semitic, why would I say that? What does Shem mean in Hebrew? The name. It means name. You even know it because you call him Hashem, the name. Well, if you're so against the name that you have tens of thousands of pages of volumes of your own scripture, and it is completely devoid of his name, and even when you read from the Torah, you will replace his name with the title of Satan, the Lord, then who could be more anti-name than that? In fact, there would be no Christianity had Jews not been anti-Semitic against Yahweh's name. There's no one going to believe that Jesus 
is the God spoken of in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. When the God in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms says, I've got one name, only one name. I will never have a different name. And my name is Yahweh. No Islam, no Christianity. Both are a direct result of religious Jews being anti-Semitic against the name. Overwhelmingly, Jews prefer their counsel, traditions, customs, and religion to God's advice. Even Jews that are not religious are cultural Jews. And this must change if there are to be more than a few score of Yehudim capitalizing upon Kippurim. I told you that Yah was returning with Dod on Kippurim. But don't think for a moment that it's the day of atonement, the day to afflict your soul. To misconstrue Yahweh's intent, which is to reconcile his relationship with Yisrael and Yahudah upon his return, to say that he wants you to abase yourself, to humble yourself, to, to torment yourself, to twirl chickens in the, in the air, is disgusting. It's a day of reconciliation. He wants to reconcile the fractured relationship. And the first step in accomplishing that is to disavow Judaism, all religion. The second step is to disavow politics, all of it, whether you're liberal or conservative, a dim-witted progressive, or buy into the religion of man with communism and socialism. You have to discard that. You're going to have to start using evidence and reason and consider what Yahweh said after that. And the next step is you need to acknowledge his name. If you're not willing to acknowledge his name and use his name, then he's going to have nothing to do with you. If you're bothered by the realization here, and I've spoken a lot about that, of this particular subject that I'm picking on Jews, then you're missing the point to such an extent that you should not be listening to this show. You shouldn't be reading any of these books. Because what this program is based upon, what the books are written about, is an amplified and accurate translation of Yahweh's words. This is what Yahweh said. We just read the Mizmor Psalm. What I'm doing is driving home the point so you don't miss it. This is what Yahweh wants you to know. To know. Every reference in this particular Mizmor Song has been to Yisrael and to Jacob, which are essentially synonymous. By the way, just as Yisrael is most accurately defined as contending against God, Yaakov is an exceedingly derogatory name. Uh, Yaakov, uh, based on a cob, is horrible. Uh, it, it speaks of all the things that Yaakov did in his life that were counter <clears throat> to uh, what would have been appropriate. He, by God's own definition, he was a worm of a man. So Jacob and Yisrael are two birds of a feather. Um, 
both uh, conniving and both, um, well, uh, reprehensible to a uh, mm-hmm. to a large degree. It doesn't mean that everything Israel has done and everything Yaakov done was wrong. No, God still loves Israel, still loves Yaakov. It's just there was a lot more bad than there was good. Yosef, a patriarch's beloved, uh, beloved son, but um, Yahweh speaks of every time we, we go through this, we just need to know that when God is saying, uh, Am Ani, he's speaking of Yisrael. So we have to be honest. There is a reason that God is picking on Yisraelites. He has invested in you. He formed his covenant with you. He rescued you. He revealed himself to you. He spoke to you in your language, offering you his Torah. He fulfilled his promises within Israel. He made his home within Israel. He is returning to Israel. You're in an entirely different position than everybody else. You have no excuse. You have every reason to accept him, to trust him, to love him, to acknowledge him. He has done all of this for you, and what you've done as a people is spit in his face. time for that to change as irritating and adversarial as Yehudim have been towards Yahweh God made a promise to Abraham to bring his descendants home and he's going to keep it descendants is plural hopefully there's going to be more than two therefore he's going to continue to chastise Judaism until an acceptable number of Jews divorce themselves of it so that they can reconcile their relationship with him. Therefore, boys, this is our, uh, our way, uh, Kirk. We're uh, 16 minutes from the end of the program. We're reading the first new line of the... We're good. Yeah. You're good, uh, man. Yeah. I, I shouldn't interrupt you so much. Yeah, I'm sure that's not a problem. Uh, Okay. Why that happens is that Yahweh makes a statement. That statement has been available, this particular one we just read, and the one we're going to read next. It's been available for 3,000 years. For 3,000 years, his people have ignored it. And I'm passionate about trying to get your attention. And so to talk about it for 45 minutes, and it's one line, but to grab your attention so that you don't weasel away from it, you don't make an excuse for it, you embrace what you hear and deal with it so that you can make an intelligent, informed decision is worth this investment of time. The goal isn't how fast you can read it. It's how much you can learn from it. Through his son, his beloved Messiah, Yahweh said, if only my people had listened. Israel, in my ways, you would have walked. 
that I would have consistently subdued their insignificant adversaries, habitually turning my hand against their troubles and their foes. Ms. Morsam, 81.14. There would have been no Assyrian assault, no. no Babylonian enslavement, no Greek invasion, None of the three Roman invasions and desecration of Israel would have happened. There would have been no diaspora. There would have been no Islam, no Christianity, no Inquisition, no Holocaust. If only my people had listened to me. Israel, in my ways, you would have walked. Yahweh's way is liberating. What's the first time that Israel walked with Yahweh? Well, before it was even Israel, Abraham walked out of Babel mm-hmm. into the promised land. Look what happened along the way. And then when Yahweh found and rescued the children of Israel in that crucible of human religious and political oppression in Mitzrayim, he walked with them towards the promised land. And he would have taken them directly into the promised land had they not been so religious from the outset. But they only got worse along the way. But that was a walk from slavery to freedom. Everything Yahweh does is about liberation. He doesn't want us bound to human religious and political schemes. He knows that religion and politics exist to control people, to extort them, to rob them, to degrade them, to limit them. And he's saying, I don't want you to be religious. If you had walked with me, you would not have been harassed by religion. You wouldn't have been harassed by politics. You wouldn't have been harassed by armies. You wouldn't have been bothered by the goyim or the religious Jews. He says, I would have taken care of your enemies. They were all insignificant from God's perspective. Frankly, it didn't have to be this way. This was not what Yahweh intended. But as a result of their collective religious, political, and cultural rebellion, Israel's adversaries would have their way with God's people. Yehudim would become the most despised and oppressed people in human history. If only they had listened. Yahweh, however, did not punish his people. He just abandoned them. He left them to fend for themselves. Something they haven't been very good at doing. It's not that Goy have been any better. They haven't. But Goy were not given every advantage. Jews were. The greater man's influence, the larger the nation, the bigger the government or religious institution, the more powerful civilizations become, the more atrocities they perpetrate. In the same way, Yahweh isn't 
punishing the world we live in today by afflicting it with deadly pandemics and severe weather, engulfing it in oceans of debt, or besieging it with an onslaught of terrorism and senseless wars. He's just ignoring the religious, the political, the conspiratorial, the preoccupied and comatose. I'm translating the first chapter, just the first statements and in Chabauk is what I've been doing the last two days. And there's a very, what I, it sounds odd to the ear statement that Hosha makes. It says, you know, why are you showing me? He's showing him the uh, impetus of Christianity as uh, Paul began mm-hmm. his first letters and first speeches. And it's, it's the most horrifying thing ever written uh, prophetically. And, and, and so Chabauk says, why are you showing me this? I mean, how long do you expect me to plead with the people. And then he says, and, and God, you're not listening. Yeah. And you say, wait, 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 why is a prophet asking why? Am I being shown this prophecy? Why is the prophet questioning how long he should plead for his people to wake up and start doing the right thing? And why is he telling Yahweh, you aren't listening? And it's the answer to those questions that are so uh, well, so important for Israel to know. God had no dog in that fight. His people stopped listening to him, so there was no way for him to talk to them. He has never talked to the Goyim, so he most certainly isn't going to want to listen to what Paul wrote and said because, well, he was inspired by Satan. So he is not listening to Paul. He is not listening to his people because his people stopped listening to him and it wasn't doing any good. That's why he wasn't listening. And the reason he sent Chabauk there was that's what God does. He sends the most qualified person to do the job that he wants done. And yeah, it was a disgusting thing for Chabauk to experience, but it needed to be done for two reasons. One reason is, same reason that I wrote these four volumes of Questioning Paul, same reason I wrote Prophet of Doom, same reason I wrote Coming Home uh, as part of the Yada Yahweh series. Even if Jews don't read it, they're left without excuse. Even if Muslims don't read it, they're left without excuse. Even if Christians don't read it, when God judges them, and they say, if only I had known, God can say, this was made available for you. Why didn't you read it? The prophetic revelation on the impetus of Pauline Christianity which is the single greatest negative uh, impact on the chosen people ever. The longest, most enduring attack on God's people. Uh, The reason that that Chabauk was asked to witness it was so that when it occurred, the religious would be left without excuse. God said, this is going to happen. This was the answer. This is what he's doing that's wrong. Point it out, and it won't happen. Your adversaries will be insignificant. 
simply use what I'm revealing to you now, by the way, 666 years before Paul yes. would write his first letter. You want to know what 666 stands for? That's it. Take what I'm sharing with you now and refute it, and it won't bother you. But they didn't. The second reason he wrote it is that Chabauk became the centerpiece of the series called Questioning Paul. My rebuke of Paul and Christianity is grounded on the prophecy that Yahweh revealed through Chabauk. So, yes, it took 2,600 years for someone to take what the prophet said seriously. That's disturbing. I mean, it, it was profound when, when you first started reporting it. I know the whole story because I listened to it in real time. But uh, it's been sitting there. If you spoke Hebrew, you should be able to right. read that and put it together. So yes. he obviously... So that's why, Chabot, and why well, how long am I supposed to plead with the people to engage and do the right thing, recognizing that none of them ever would, ever. They yeah. didn't do the it, it counted too. in 50 CE. The playbook was given to them, and they, they were, didn't capitalize upon it, and therefore Imperial Rome morphed into the Roman the Catholic Church. And, uh, and they would suffer for the next 2,000 years because they didn't capitalize on what God had given them. So Chabok said, why am I doing this? They won't listen. And they still don't listen. There's not a single religious Jew that says Chabok was written to expose and condemn Shaul, Paul, the inspiration behind and the father of Christianity, travesty that is perpetrated upon the world. So this is where we find ourselves. And God's saying, yeah, it's true. I'm not listening. Why would he listen? Not a religious Jew on earth that has anything to say that he wants to hear. All those prayers that they really, well, from God's point of view, they sound like they're speaking through dung, is the term that he uses. Mm -hmm. Facing the high heaven. By contrast, and while few and far between, those who look to God, who listen to him, and who reach up to him will find, yeah, reaching down and out to us with an open, supportive, and welcoming hand. Yah is ever ready to grasp hold of your hand, to lift you up, to lead you, sustain you, protect you. Those who oppose him, however, will either find the back of his hand pushing them away and rebuke, or they may notice that he has withdrawn his hand altogether. Well, this divine rebuke is directed at Jews and at Judaism. Keep in mind that they are no better and no worse than Christians, Muslims, Hindus, conspiratorialists, communists, or progressives. But that's God's point. They are without excuse. Everything I have translated over the past 21 years that I've been doing this was given 
to Yehudim. It was conveyed through them in their language long ago. God not only chose them to be an example, he equipped them to be a good one. This known from the mouth of God, nevertheless, when someone exposes the descendants of Jacob and the politics of a nation of Israel, Israel, or condemns their religion, even when the criticism is predicated upon a pronouncement Yahweh himself has made regarding them, Jews respond by slandering the voice of reason. The ad hominem attack devolves into name-calling, labeling even the most accurate and reasoned appeal anti-Semitic. But it is the pot calling the kettle black. It happened this week uh, uh, as I was writing uh, this particular chapter. This is the first volume, uh, first chapter of volume eight. Uh, that was in uh, on June 1st. Oh, it's it's the middle of August uh, now, and um, and I'm I think 11 chapters into the volume. Um, that's a lot of progress for that period of time. But it was on June that's 1st, good. 2022, in Israel that. Uh, and I think I've shared this uh, this story before, but Likud M.K., a Knesset okay. member and former finance minister, uh, Yisrael Katz, uh, demeaned the current finance minister, uh, uh, M.K. Uh, Av, uh, Avgador <laughs> Lieberman, <laughs> accusing the Israeli statesman of being like the greatest anti-Semites in history. Evidently, the Likud wall of shame we would find uh, Lieberman's picture next to the likes of Pharaoh and Salamaster, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Pompey, Herod, uh, Tiberius, uh, Jesus, uh, Flores, Claudius, Pontius Pilate, Paul, along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Nero, Vespasian, Titus, Hadrian, Caligula, Constantine, Mohammed, Martin Luther, Pope Pius Twelfth, and Hitler. Well, that's according to Knesset member Katz. His crime wasn't, by the way, persecuting Jews. It wasn't indoctrinating them. It wasn't forcing them to live in ghettos. It wasn't controlling them and robbing them of their possessions and lives. It wasn't another inquisition or holocaust. It wasn't telling them to wear disgusting clothing and six-pointed stars or even demonstrating racial prejudice by keeping them from being productive members of society. Nope. Those are, after all, are the crimes rabbis have committed against their own. No, what Lieberman, and this is a quote, quote, what Lieberman is doing when he threatens to cut the meat of the Haredi budget is singling out the Haredi public as a victim. Previously, he said that whoever is not loyal to the state will not have citizenship. Now, he says, whoever is not loyal to the government will have their budgets cut. And M.K. Katz, during an interview on uh, Rishit Bet Radio, said a victim is someone who receives less money than they were previously given for doing nothing. (laughs) What a great line. To be fair, those whom M.K. Lieberman wanted to deprive of citizenship were Islamic terrorists. 
who were calling for the elimination of Israel and death to the Jews. But it's worth noting that the current government was formed in direct opposition to Benjamin Netanyahu's propensity to bribe the Haredi political parties to support his coalition. Therefore, Likud M.K. Katz's argument was deliberately disingenuous, something he shares with the Haredim he bribes to secure power. M.K. Lieberman recognized that it is immoral and counterproductive to force the Israeli citizens who work to support their families, who actively defend the country, and who are not religious to pay for those who demand to be subsidized for being nothing but religious. The Haredim are simply parasites, antagonizing God while sucking the life out of Israel. But at least to their credit, they are dressed for their own funeral in black mourning suits. So not all is lost. Knowing as we do that the Haredi form of Judaism is an affront to God and man, the current Knesset finance minister said, most of the money goes to kolols, yeshivas, which are ultra-Orthodox religious schools for married men, where people studying religion from age 29 until pension. They come in the morning and eat a sandwich, uh, drink coffee, talk politics, and open a few books. There is no reason to fund them, end quote. For that, Likud M.K. and former finance minister Yisrael Katz labeled the current finance minister Lieberman like the greatest anti-Semites in history. Okay. When we compare what Lieberman said about religious Jews to what Yahweh has proclaimed here and elsewhere throughout the prophets, those who agree with God will likely receive the same mindless drivel as a retort from the Likud Haredi pairing. The irony is that by doing so, the religious and political are slandering Yahweh, claiming that the God whose shim they vehemently oppose is anti-Semitic against the name he too has tried to do his level best to be intolerant of them. Kosher Jews have become so pig-headed, they're blind to their own yeast. Clearly, obviously, irrefutably, the most anti-Semitic people in the world are rabbis and their flock of black sheep, the Haredim. Well, Sarah, this we're now um, recording. Kirk, we're no longer uh, broadcasting on Blog Talk Radio, but uh, we'll repeat this uh, statement at the beginning of next week's uh, show because if we can do uh, uh, do. two, two or three verses a show, we will finish the eighth volume of uh, of Yada Yawa before yeah before uh, year six thousand Yah, which will be a good thing. Sure. Those who, and by the way, if that's all we were to do in this program, it would be worth doing uh, yeah. because Hosha was written specifically for this time to call Israelites home. Oh yes. 
Those who demonstrably shun and slight, who are averse to and disdain, thereby actively causing others to deny Yahweh, will be considered worthless and will be rejected by him. And the way they experience time will continue to exist that way forevermore throughout eternity. Well, that's a double whammy. So we began this program by telling you that it is essential that you know and acknowledge Yahweh's name. The exact opposite of what every Jew will tell you to do, particularly the religious. That the single most important thing you can do after rejecting religion and politics is to accept Yahweh's name and then study his Torah and prophets. Is the very thing that God is harping on here. He says, those who demonstrably, those who shun and slight, those who are adverse to and actively cause others to deny. That would be every rabbi and every religious mm-hmm. Jew. Yahweh will be considered worthless and rejected by him. God is serious about his name. If you are not willing to say it, to acknowledge it, to understand what it means, to appreciate why it is so vital to your relationship with him and opportunity to spend eternity with him, then from his view, you are worthless. And if you are a part of the company of those who would lie and and say no one knows how to pronounce it, or lie and say it's 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 too sacred and out of respect for him, uh, well, we don't want to say it. <clears throat> what a bunch of rubbish! You despise it. That's because the God of the Talmud bears nothing in common with Yahweh. And once you know Yahweh, you got no use for the rabbis. Go directly to the source. They don't want you to know it. Because when you know God's name, you're going to form a relationship with him. You're going to listen to him. You're going to trust him. You're going to rely on him, which means you're not going to trust or rely or believe the religious rabbi. And that's bad for business. So they will do everything to keep you from knowing it, from using it. But if you're among those who will attack me or anyone for telling you that God's name is Yahweh and he's really serious about it, then you want to know that God's view of you is that you are worthless. And if you do that, the way you experience time will continue to exist that way throughout eternity. Those who advocate the renunciation of Yahweh's name and who will attack anyone who uses it, who will never speak it, who will demean those who use it, they are going to experience their time exactly this way forever. That means the Herodim and Mm -hmm. all of the aficionados of Judaism who are in that position, you're going to be surrounded by fellow religious Jews and religious Christians and Muslims forevermore. The only way you can be in an all-religious company 
is to have an express ticket to Sheol, a place of separation from God. You don't like his name, you can go to Sheol and spend eternity there with other people who don't like his name. You prefer to be religious and political, you can go and spend your eternity with who chose to be religious and political. If you're actively involved in negating his name, you're going to spend your time exactly as you are now forevermore. Yeah, Sheol hell is not such a bad place then if you're religious, right? You get to be religious forevermore. It's only if you reject religion will you get to spend forevermore with Yahweh. Since very early in the book of Barishith, God laid out an, an option for us. We can be religious or we can engage in the relationship. That's the choice. You can't have both. If you're religious, you're excluded from God's company. He's calling us back to Eden. No religion in Eden. He's calling us away from Babylon to the promised land. And so it's time. If you're listening to this program in Israel, if you are listening to this program and you live in America, it's time for you to reject religion. Recognize that it has brought nothing but misery. That God hates it. And to listen to him. Become part of his covenant family. Come home. And that's what this program is all about. That's what the books, Yada Yawa series is all about. And so I'd leave you with the, the encouragement of go to yadayah.com. Start with the first volume of An Introduction to God. You'll learn why you, why me. Read through it. Come to understand the oldest text, the nature of the original language, the letters that comprise the words, um, how we can replicate with a great deal of accuracy God's original intent with his message, and how we use amplified translation so that every single word, if you're reading it online, you can copy and paste the generic form of the word. Like, for example, when we spoke of those who shun, who slight, who are adverse to and disdain Yahweh's name, it's Sani, S-A-N-E. And so you can copy and paste it into your favorite search engine, and you will come across um, 8, 10 different lexicons that will help to find that word. And you have the ability then to validate the transaction, the translation. Kirk, you've done that for 10 years. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, so has everybody that has read these books. The fact Mm -hmm. is that that it's there for you to be able to validate, to question, to, uh, to affirm. Because God doesn't great, want you to great anybody but him. To know. Yeah. And it's tremendous confidence that goes along with being able to do that. So it's all there for you. It's uh, easy for you to, uh, to verify. You can be emancipated and free of the burden of, and the control of religion and politics. 
and most importantly, be free to return to Yahweh, your God. So thank you for listening. Look forward to being with you uh, next week. We uh, homework assignment for those who this was the first time you've listened to this program is go to yadayad.com and begin reading. And you'll be in a much better position this time next week as we proceed through the 81st Mizmor as an introduction to the book of Hosha. So happy Shabbat. Uh, Good night, everyone. Look forward to being with you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.